This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. This morning we are reading John 10 from verse 11 down to 18 and I'm reading from the NIV. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Well, good morning, church. Again, uh, as we dive into John chapter 10 this morning, I just wanted to remind you very briefly of our vision for this year, which was our five shifts, and just remind you of the things that the Spirit convicted you of a few weeks ago on Vision Sunday and the things that we want to see growth in the areas of our church and personally as an individual. So if this has fallen off your radar, make sure you find your postcard and the things that you were convicted of and uh, go back to them. Make sure you're praying over those things and seeking God over them. Um, As we dive in, I wanted to encourage you guys to um, just continue praying for Scotty and Ruth, um, particularly for Isaiah, for healing as, uh, as they hope to jump on a plane tomorrow and head back to the Philippines. But uh, I'm going to pray now for us as we prepare our hearts to hear God speak to us in his word. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that we have a good shepherd Father, we thank you that you have not left us as sheep in the wilderness without protection and provision, without a shepherd who cares for us. And Father, we thank you that you have spoken by your word. And so this morning, I pray that you would take these words that I've prepared and use them for your purposes in the lives of your people. May this message act as your mouthpiece. God, I pray that I may decrease and Jesus may increase this morning. I pray that you would lift up Jesus in our midst. Help us to see him with fresh eyes this morning. Because God, we desperately need a clearer vision of our Savior. We know that as we behold our Savior, we become like him. So this morning, help us to behold Jesus, to see him with fresh eyes. And Father, I pray that you would do your work by your spirit and transform us into his likeness. And we pray this in his strong name. And God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. Well, sadly, the last few years, as we have watched across our world, we have seen leadership failure across the board. Leaders falling and failing, and it's become so common that we barely blink, that we simply scroll past it because it's just another story with the same narrative that we have heard over and over and over again. Leadership failures are so common that um, PR teams are hoping that their leadership failure falls on a busy news week so that people will be captivated by what is happening in the Russia and Ukraine war more than what's happening in their organization. It happens so frequently. We hear of leaders who have used the power that has been entrusted to them for the purposes of bullying those and intimidating those under their care. We hear of leaders who have fallen into sexual failure and infidelity. And all of the, the glib remarks about how my personal life has nothing to do with my public life. We hear of leaders who have been so captivated by the power of money and greed. And the decisions that they have made to, to lie in their own pockets and prop up their own platforms. We hear of scandal. And this isn't just happening in football clubs and you know, pol- political circles and major institutions. This is happening in the church, in our house, amongst the people of God. And it seems to me that we're at a point in church history where there is no single brand of Christianity that can point the finger. Because this is happening across the theological con- uh, spectrum. Good theology, bad theology, it doesn't really matter. This is happening everywhere. And the impact is that the sheep, God's people, are scattered. The people have lost trust in spiritual leadership. And that the credibility of God's people, the church, is waning. That we begin to look just like every other institution around us that seems to PR manage our leadership scandals. And I was kind of thinking about why is this the case? Like, Why do we hear every single year of another failed leader in the Christian circle because of one of those four reasons it seems to be? And I think it is that we are too captive. Our imaginations are too captive to the ways of leadership that our world has to offer us. And we simply are not animated by the way of Jesus. That passage that Brie read for us, Jesus demonstrates and teaches so clearly this entire inversion of leadership entirely subverts the ways of leadership that we see in our world today and flips it on its head. This I am statement of Jesus that we were first introduced to last week, I am the shepherd, is a stinging critique of self-serving leadership. And a model and invitation to lead in a different way. And to be followers who would find a leader who is worth giving our lives to follow. And I believe this is a word for all of us, myself included. For all of us in any form of leadership. If you're in a position of leadership in this church, a GC leader, a kid's church leader, a leader on this platform, a leader in any other administrative capacity. If we are in a position of leadership, this is a word 
for us this morning. But perhaps you're in a position of leadership in your home, in your community, in your workplace, then this is a word for you as well. For any of us who hold any position of leadership, Jesus' model and example of leadership is a beautiful invitation to lead in a countercultural way. But if you remember last week, I said, John chapter 10 is, is a two-part sermon. So thank you for coming back for part two of this sermon. Because Jesus last week introduced us to these two twin concepts of the fact that he is both the gate and the shepherd. He is the gate for the sheep and he is the shepherd of the sheep. Last week we saw that as Jesus said, I am the gate, he is the access to two things that humanity both desperately needs. Both security, he is access into the sheep pen and freedom. He is access to the green pastures. He provides us both the security and the freedom that we need. And he introduced us to this metaphor of the shepherd. He said, my sheep in the sheep pen, hear my voice and follow me. And here in verse 11, Jesus continues to unpack this rich theme of being the good shepherd. I am the shepherd. Now, our problem with hearing the words, I am the shepherd, is that we've been so corrupted by Sean the sheep that we just do not know what first century shepherd... I mean, Sean, if you, the whole premise of the, the, you know, Sean the sheep, which is, in my opinion, one of the best kids' TV shows that has ever been produced, is um, the shepherd, the farmer, is incompetent, right? He is completely incompetent, and the sheep are smart, devious, intelligent, and can literally solve all of the world's problems. But... For the metaphor to work for us, we need to put aside Sean the sheep and pick back up the conventional concept of sheep are somewhat dumb and need a lot of help. And Jesus leverages that metaphor for his purposes here. In chapter 10, verse 11, he says this, I am, remember, when Jesus says that, it's not just language, he is drawing into his, into his, his teaching here all of the rich Old Testament background, when he stood before God in front of the burning bush and God commissions Moses to go and set his people free. And Moses says to him, who should I say has sent me? And God says, I am. You tell the people I am has sent you all. I will be who I will be. And so Jesus takes this language. And when he says, I am the gate, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, or I am the good shepherd, he's importing all of this rich meaning into that statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know the difference between an owner of a business and an employee in a business simply by watching their actions. An employee in a business often turns up at the time that they were allotted to start and clocks off at the very minute that they were allotted to finish and in between that time does the very thing that they have been employed to do and often not much more or not much less. The owner, on the other hand, is there early staying back late, going above and beyond, doing all of the things that are required outside of their said job description to get it done. Or if you, th- you think of the distinction between renters and homeowners. 
Right? When you live in a rental property, you don't really care too much about it. As long as it's safe and clean and all that, you know, fly screen falls off, call the landlord. They have a problem. They've got to fix it. Right? But when you live in your own property, you care for it in a way that you simply do not care for when you are renting a property. And that is the distinction that Jesus is trying to draw here between the shepherd and the hired hand. The hireling here is a caretaker. He doesn't own the sheep like the shepherd owns the sheep. He's employed by the shepherd to care for the sheep. And part of his job was to protect the sheep from the wild beasts and wolves and animals that would seek to destroy them because sheep are easy prey. Sheep are easy prey. And so they were required to protect and care for the sheep on behalf of the owners. Now, in the Mishnah, which is a, a collection of uh, Jewish customs, it says that if you're a hireling and one wolf comes, your requirement is to defend the flock against the wolf. But if two wolves come, you're kind of free to run. In some cases, history tells us that a hireling, a hired shepherd, would in fact sacrifice a sheep in order to protect the flock and just take the rest of the flock away. But a shepherd who knows his sheep by name and cares for his flock would never do that. Here, in this case, Jesus says, the hired hand simply runs. He abandons the flock, and the result is the flock is scattered. At the first sign of danger, he runs. He flees. He is out of there. Like a Nike Dunk Low Panda at Foot Locker. It is gone. Like as soon as it, it's just out of there, right? He, he runs. When I was 14 years old, I, um, my parents were out at Symphony in the Domain with my younger brother. I had a few mates over. And we decided in uh, all of the wisdom of a 14-year-old to take my mum's work car for a few laps around the block, as you do. One corner from my house on the way home. I mistook the brake for the accelerator, mounted the curb, and hit a tree head-on. Had a car full of mates, and let me tell you in that moment, what happened when we hit that tree is that the three back doors of that car opened, and they were gone. They ran. Unfortunately, my door was stuck. I couldn't get out. So I'm stuck in the front seat of the car for the neighbors to come and pull me out and call the police and all that kind of stuff. The first sign of danger, they're off. They run. And this is the hired hand. Self-preservation is more important to him than protection of the flock. But the shepherd, on the other hand, verse 11, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd stands, or the good shepherd rather, stands between his flock and danger to protect them. And when he sees a wolf coming, rather than running at the first sign of danger, the good shepherd courageously defends his sheep. Now, clearly, Jesus here is foreshadowing the cross. He's speaking in metaphorical language of what he will do later in John chapter 18 and 19. Because Jesus is the one who will lay down his life on the Mount of Golgotha. He is, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And he takes away the sins of the world as he is nailed to the tree, dying in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. And he dies in order to protect his sheep from the wolves of sin and Satan and death and destruction. And this is a voluntary, willing self-sacrificial death of Jesus. This is what he says in verse 17. Have a look. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. You see, it was not the pressure of the Jewish leaders, nor the decisions of the Gentile leaders, or even the hands of the centurions, the the Roman guards that put Jesus to death. It was a willing sacrifice. He chose to lay his life down. Now, it would be somewhat pointless of a shepherd to sacrifice their life and then leave the rest of the sheep vulnerable. And so Jesus says, I don't just lay my life down. I actually have authority to take it up again. And here Jesus is speaking of the resurrection. Now, as Jesus uses this rich, beautiful metaphor to speak of what he will ultimately do and critique the leadership that he sees around him. Remember, probably what stirs this teaching about the gate and the the shepherd is as Jesus looks back to the way that the religious leaders treated the man who was born blind in John chapter 9, something is stirred in his spirit to offer a stinging critique of leadership. And there is something that lurks in the background of this metaphor for Jesus. And it is a narrative in Ezekiel chapter 34, where God offers this critique of the Old Testament false shepherds. Come back to Ezekiel 34 verse 7 with me. It says this, Therefore, you shepherds, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, And so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. So that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves, I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to where they were scattered on the day of the clouds and darkness. And I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will find pasture. uh, I I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture. This is what God says he will do. As he looks out and sees the way that in Ezekiel's time at least, the leaders of God's people have treated their flock and the results of their leadership, the people have been scattered. The flock has been scattered into exile in the nations around them. The judgment of the Lord has come upon the people of God. And Jesus comes, reminding the rulers of Israel that there was once a time where God stood against their leaders and said, I will shepherd the people myself. I will look after my people. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the good 
shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the tone of my leadership is to serve the people by laying my life down. Now, what a different picture of leadership than what passes for Christian leadership today at times. So-called pastors who use their churches as means for gaining influence, as an overextension of their self-inflated egos and as a way of notoriety in this small little bubble called Christendom, the Christian subculture. Leaders that are drunk on their own power and control. And perhaps they didn't start that way, but somehow they've ended up like that. Pastors who care more for a following than they care about their followers. And what we desperately need, in the Western church at least, what we desperately need is a new paradigm of leadership in the church. If the church has any hope of being different to the world around us and all of the organizations that profile their scandals before us every single year, if we have any hope of being different, we desperately need leaders who would model their leadership on the way and example of Jesus. Leadership that says, I'm willing to die to myself. Leadership that, that doesn't just use service as a, as a way of describing leadership, but as a way of doing leadership. You understand the difference? This isn't just servant leadership that modifies what leadership is. No, this is the entire shape of Christian leadership. It's service. But really, this is the way of all leadership, not just leadership in the church, not just GC leaders, not just kids' church leaders, not just church pastors and, and elders. This is all Christian leadership ought to be shaped by the way of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And in God's economy, the way up is down. It's by laying ourselves down, taking the low path, it's about Allowing the crucifixion to conform all of our thinking and practices, all of our vision of what it looks like to be, quote unquote, successful. It's about service. It's a ministry of love modeled on the way of Jesus. And my desperate hope is that as God enables by the power of His Spirit, that I would be able to walk that out before you for as long as God gives me the grace to lead this church. To be the type of leader who would serve our people. The same is true for all of our pastors and leaders across all of our churches. And for me, as I've been hanging out with Scotty and Ruth this week, uh, and just hearing some of the stories that they've been sharing and their heart behind their ministry I couldn't help but think that they are an example of servant leadership, of the type of leadership that goes not to tell people what to do, but the type of leadership that comes to serve. You know, Scotty was um, sharing with this this week that pastor of the church that they attend in their village, Pastor Rennell, has been shepherding and pastoring in his town for a long time. And, and he said to Scotty recently, he said, you know what, you guys have restored my faith in missionaries. And the reason he said that is because a whole host of people had come to serve them, but in the end, what they had done was not serve the people of the Philippines at all. And what he had seen in Scotty and Ruth's leadership 
was leadership that had been modeled on the example and the way of Jesus, who had come with open hands and listening ears and said, we are here to empower and to release indigenous leaders to do this work. We're not here to platform ourselves. We're not here to build a mega church in the Philippines with Scott's plaque on the pew. We are here to serve the people. I just love Love your example, Scotty. I love it. And I love your and Ruth's leadership amongst the, the people of the Philippines. Because for me, it's leadership that is modeled on the way and example of Jesus. But as we read this, this passage here, as we dive into this, this rich metaphor that Jesus gives us of I am the shepherd. This is not just a stinging critique of the leadership of the day, but this is also a reminder of deep, desperate human need. Because embedded in this metaphor is not just the shepherds, but also the sheep, the followers. And it's a reminder to us of human need. Now, I think we, we struggle with this kind of metaphor because we think... Sheep, they're not particularly smart. They're particularly needy. They're not all that self-sufficient and independent. I mean, I was reading recently that if a sheep falls over and rolls onto its back, it's literally just lying there with its four feet kicking in the air. It cannot roll itself over. It requires help. Like it, sheep are just really, really needy. And we don't like to think of ourselves like that. We're independent, self-sufficient. We don't like asking for help. We think that you know, asking for help is a sign of weakness. And here Jesus offers us this metaphor that says, in fact, humans are just like sheep. We have real significant needs for a shepherd. We need protection. We need provision. We need to be fed. Our souls need to be nourished and nurtured. We're in danger from our sin, from the world, from the devil. And Jesus is a shepherd who comes and promises not to leave us defenseless. Not to leave us like sheep in the field without a shepherd to care for them, protect them from the wolves. And he came to save us came to save us and he came to die in our place for our sins to set us free and there's something deeply humbling about putting ourselves into this picture of being sheep who need a shepherd but i promise you until we recognize that we are needy in desperate need of help that we simply are like sheep on our backs with our legs kicking the air we cannot roll ourselves over We are so corrupted by our own sin. We are so turned in on ourselves. We simply cannot work our way up the moral ladder to make ourselves acceptable to God. We are like sheep who have turned aside. We have gone our own way. And God says that he has laid the iniquity of us all upon our shepherd Jesus. And it is by his wounds, his stripes, that we are healed. Church, we are sheep in desperate need of a shepherd to care for us. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that we can roll over and get back on our own feet of our own accord. We are defenseless sheep who need a shepherd. But, but we're reminded here that we're not just 
saved by our shepherd. We are also known. We're saved from the danger of the wolves, but we are saved for relationship with our shepherd. You know, there's that scene in uh, the movie Madagascar where uh, Marty, who's the zebra, and uh, Alex, who's the lion, have had a bit of a, you know, a mate's tiff. They've had a bit of an argument. And Marty decides he's going to go back. He's no longer going to be friends with Alex. He's joining the herd. And as a zebra, he goes and hides himself amongst this giant herd of all these zebras that look exactly the same. And, and Alex is trying to call out. He's like, Marty, where are you? And he can't make any distinguishable, discernible difference between the zebras that are white covered with black stripes and the ones that are black covered with white stripes. He just cannot tell Marty from the rest until he notices a distinguishing characteristic. And that is that all the zebras are facing one way and Marty has turned his back. And so he says, I see you there, third row from the back in the middle. And Marty's like, oh my goodness, he sees me. I'm not just one of the flock, I'm just one of the herd. I am Marty, and my friend Alex knows me. It's like a beautiful moment, right? And, and that's the kind of thing that's happening here with this rich, intimate language that Jesus is offering us. He says, I know my sheep. Have a look at verse 14 there. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, this knowledge is not just like, Yes, I know that this is, you know, Chops and this is Barbara and this, you know, all, all the shit, you know, this is, you know, whatever name. Like, this is not just I can see the characteristics, you know, that no, I know. I know them. This is not intellectual knowledge, but experiential relationship. Like, the shepherd loves the sheep, he knows their personalities. He knows which sheep like clovers and which one likes you know, this type of grass. And he knows intimately his sheep. But more than that, more than knowing his sheep, more than knowing them by name, there is a staggering truth here in verse 15. Like Jesus adds a sentence here that ought to cause us to fall on our faces in worship to God. Because it says this, right? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, John uses that exact same word there in John 15, verse 9, where he says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. And I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. Now, how do you suppose that the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father? What type of relationship do you think they have enjoyed for all eternity? The beautiful, rich love of the Father and the Son, the dance of the Trinity. There is no deeper sense of knowing. There is no more intimate relationship than that that exists between the Father and the Son. And the staggering truth is that Jesus says, that's the type of knowing that, that I know my sheep with. And I'm inviting my sheep into to know, to know Jesus, to be known by him. There's rich, like this isn't, this is not religion that we're playing with here. This is relationship with a father whom we can know, that we can experience intimacy with, that we enjoy, that we learn from, that we encounter. It's a life of loving Jesus. Now, 
I hear you. There are, there are people like, but I don't feel it. I'm not feeling this intimacy that you're speaking about. And I get it. There are a thousand reasons why perhaps we don't feel a sense of intimacy that we long for, that Jesus speaks of here. And perhaps it's a sermon for another day, but, but might I suggest to us that we have elevated feelings and emotions in our culture to such an extraordinary level that we are waiting until we feel it that we will ever do anything. I'm just, I'm not feeling it, right? But my, my humble suggestion to us is that our affections follow our actions. And as we begin to do the practices of intimacy with Jesus, sit in silence in his presence, read his word, pray, worship together in community, then I think our expectation over the long term is that we can enjoy this beautiful, rich destination, uh, this, this rich intimacy. Uh, Eugene Peterson says that intimacy with God is not a destination, it's a journey. I was just arriving at this like amazing feeling of intimacy that we are living a life of enjoyed closeness and relationship with God. And sometimes that feels great and other times it doesn't. We've made faithfulness, like, anyway, sermon for another day, (laughs) sermon for another day. But my suggestion is our affections follow our actions. So let's be faithful. Final point here. It's not just knowing. It's not just intimacy, but it's assurance that our shepherd offers us. Have a look at what it says in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The assurance of a shepherd like Jesus is that because he has served us so well by laying down his life and offering the once for all sacrifice for sin, then there is now nothing that can separate us from God's love. There is neither life nor death, angels nor demons, future nor present. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That God holds us tight, even in seasons where we're not feeling it. We are not in relationship with the Good Shepherd on the basis of how we feel, of our effort, our works, our striving, but on the basis of His finished work. And that, and that alone, provides us the beautiful, rich assurance of this promise that the Father holds us tight and He will never let us go. This is not just momentary protection that He offers us, but this is eternal protection, eternal assurance that our Good Shepherd is protecting us always. And He will usher us through the gate of this life to the next, to the age to come and offer us the protection that we so desperately need. So the question this morning that I want to leave you with is, is Jesus worth following? Is he worth submitting our lives to and apprenticing under? Is Jesus safe? Is he good? Will he lead you in the right direction? Will he lead us out into pastures of green grass? Will he lead us beside streams of water? Is He worth following. And the unequivocal answer from John 10 is yes.
that we would be able to say with the psalmist of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Church, he is a good shepherd. Your good shepherd cares for you. He loves you. He has laid his life down for you. He has taken his life up and he is the pioneer of our faith who has gone ahead of us, the gate to the age to come, the protection that we so desperately need. He is our good shepherd and he's calling us all to follow him this morning.